This is the Intego Mac Podcast. The voice of Mac security. For Thursday, November 24th, 2022. This week's Intego Mac Podcast security headlines include, Your iOS system data is still being collected and stored, even if you choose not to send it to Apple. Is it worth a lawsuit over? Apple's iCloud private relay is being used by hackers for click fraud. We explain how it's done. Whether you shop Black Friday for gifts or for personal use, we've got a few privacy and security tips. Stalkers don't need AirTags to track their prey. They can use another Apple product. We'll tell you which one. Now, here are the hosts of the Indigo Mac podcast, veteran Mac journalist Kirk McElhern and Indigo's chief security analyst, Josh Long. Good morning, Josh. How are you today? I'm doing well. How are you, Kirk? I'm doing just fine. We're recording on Wednesday, November 23rd, the day before Thanksgiving. Have you got your turkey ready yet? Yeah, it's. we actually cooked it last night, so all ready to go. Ahead of the curve, Josh. That's good. We don't celebrate Thanksgiving here, but I will be with you in spirit. I wanted to ask you something. I went to a website today and I went to log in. And it's one of these websites where on the first page, you enter your username or email address. And on the second page, you enter your password. And one of the problems with this sort of website is it often makes password managers not understand. So it might save just the password and not the username for things like that. And I was wondering, is this more secure or less secure than having the two items in two fields on the same page? Well, my perspective on this is that it's not necessarily more or less secure. I don't really see any security advantage to breaking it up into two pages. Then why do companies do it? You know, I don't know. <laughs> I, that, that's actually a really good question. Oh, okay. I wish I knew the answer to that. But one thing that does concern me when they do break it up like that is some websites, and not necessarily all of them will do this, sometimes they'll break it up and they don't validate the email address before they take you to the second page for the password. But in cases where they do check to see whether that is an existing account in their system before taking you to the password page, that, in my opinion, is not really ideal. Because now they're disclosing to potentially an attacker that that account does exist in their system, that that email address or that username that you put in in the first field does ex exist as an account in that system. So it just confirms something that the attacker may not have been able to know otherwise. And that's not really necessarily a good thing. It doesn't mean that an attacker will be able to get in because they still got to guess a password. But if they know existing credentials that have been in the data leak with a username and a password, that this might be an opportunity for them to try out some of those combinations. Exactly. Because unfortunately, a lot of people do reuse the same password. Uh, I, I've heard people give me all kinds of different variations of this. Some people say, well, I've got like two passwords that I use. I've got like my good password that I use for like my bank and like one or two other things. And then I have just the generic password that I use on sites that don't really matter. But what they don't realize is that reusing passwords at all means, like you say, if it ends up in a data breach, that's pretty serious because now somebody could be able to break into other accounts. And while you might not think of, for example, maybe your email, you might think, well, why would any hacker want to go after my email account, right? I'm nobody special. I don't have like trade secrets or anything like that that I'm trying to hide from anybody. But 
the thing is, if someone can get into your email account in particular, that's really serious because now they can issue reset password reset links through websites. Most of the time to reset your password, that's exactly what they do is they'll send you an email. It's a verified email address usually. So they know that you should be the one getting this email and can reset your password then. But the problem is if somebody else gets into your email account, then they can now reset your password as well. So people don't usually think of email as being one of those like super top secret security passwords, and they just kind of use generic ones. And that could be a pretty serious problem in cases like this. Okay, this just crossed my mind this morning when I was logging into a website and I think one password popped up a dialogue and it wanted to save and it wasn't saving the username, it was only saving the password. Uh, so it's worth keeping this in mind. Apple does it like this when you go to sign into an Apple account, but they use their own two-factor authentication system. But you do get the username or email address first and then the password on a second screen. I'd always wondered why. It just doesn't make sense. It's Black Friday tomorrow, so in the second part, we're going to give a little bit about Black Friday shopping, but today we have a news episode with lots of news, and we're going to try to do a quick rapid response on some of these stories because some of them are interesting because they're topics we've talked about in the past. Others are actually a lot more important. Let's start with an article, Apple tracks alarming amount of data even when device analytics is turned off. Now, when you first set up your phone, you have a a screen where you can choose to share analytics with Apple or not, and you can go into settings, you can turn this on and turn this off. They've always said that this sort of data is anonymous, but it turns out that's not the case, right? Well, Apple has been saying, of course, for years that, you know, Apple is privacy, right? <laughs> Uh, iPhone is privacy. And so you should just assume that Apple is all about protecting your privacy, that that's their, their whole thing. Um, well, so there are a lot of analytics things that are always being collected on your device. Even if you have analytics reporting turned off, it's, we've mentioned before on the show that Apple actually is still recording things. They're just not necessarily sending them off to servers. That's one thing that people should be aware of. You can find this out if you go to your iPhone, for example, the same thing on an iPad as well. If you go to settings, privacy and security, analytics and improvements, and then analytics data, you'll see that there's just a ton of stuff that shows up here. Some of this will even be from the current date. Again, if you're not doing any kind of reporting of analytics to Apple, this stuff is still being collected. It's still being stored as files on your device. So this is something that we've known for a while. But if I go to the same settings on the Mac, it says personal data is not logged at all in the reports generated by your Mac. Well, this lawsuit is specifically about iPhone privacy, but they... So it, Apple's saying basically the same thing. If you look at the the security dialog boxes, right, the, the text that's in there. But what these people are alleging is that Apple is doing a bunch of things that violate your privacy, such as, for example, they mention the App Store appears to track everything you do in real time, including what you looked at and for how long and where you tapped on the app, which ads you saw and how you found the apps you looked at. Now, OK. Uh, to some degree, I completely understand why that is. First of all, we're talking really the app store is a service. Yes, it's an app that's a front end to a service, 
But just like when you search for things on the App Store, you know, you should have an expectation that Apple knows what you searched for because it's the same thing as going to google.com and typing in search a search query you know that now google knows what you searched for there's a little bit more to this too they're they're saying that they're basically saying that all of these apple apps kind of circumvent the whole analytics and data collection thing and when you disable analytics the setting says that it will disable the sharing of device analytics altogether and the people involved in this lawsuit are claiming that it doesn't actually stop Apple apps specifically so Apple's App Store Apple TV Apple Music Apple Stocks Apple Books all of these they claim are still collecting analytics and so they're violating your privacy that's the allegation in this lawsuit Okay, we have another story about Apple's iCloud private relay. Apparently, it's being abused in a huge ad fraud operation that might already be worth $65 million. It looks like what's happening here is that fraudsters have found a way to spoof the iCloud private relay addresses. So there's a pool of IP addresses that they know that iCloud Private Relay uses. Remember that iCloud Private Relay is a proxy. That means that your device connects to an iCloud server, which then handles that request. It sends it out onto the public internet with the intention that it hides your IP address from that website that you're visiting. Well, what these fraudsters have figured out is that they can spoof these iCloud Private Relay addresses and these web servers now blindly trust these requests, and so they're using this for click fraud. So they're able to claim that these ads are being clicked on much more than they actually are, and they're using iCloud private relay addresses as the supposed location where these requests are coming from. So basically, they're just kind of abusing Apple's network and, and abusing the fact that there's a pool of known IP addresses for this thing that's an anonymizing service. Okay, we've been talking about AirTags for getting on a year and a half now. They came out, what, in April 2021. And we particularly noticed how AirTags can be used by stalkers. And a story came up in the New York Post last week, which surprised me because I never thought of this. The title is, My Creepy Date Slipped His AirPods Into My Bag. Here's the scary reason why. Now, if you've been following AirTags, you know that the AirTags will play a sound. If someone's put an AirTag in your bag, after a while, it'll play a sound. If you have an iPhone or an Android phone, it will display an alert if you're being followed by an AirTag. But if you leave your AirPods with someone and they're trackable, there's no alert, there's no sound, there's nothing. This is actually quite clever. It's a bit more expensive than an AirTag, but there's no way of the creepy date being discovered if he just forgot his AirPods. Yeah, this is kind of surprising that if if Apple really hasn't like thought this through, <laughs> but this is basically so if you want to track somebody and you don't want them to know that you're tracking them, then you just pay an extra premium and get AirPods instead of AirTags. Problem solved, right? Yeah. And the worst thing that could happen is someone sees that you've left your AirPods and maybe they'll give them back. But in this case, she tried to get in touch with the person to give them back and he didn't want them back. And that's why it gets even creepier. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's really suspicious. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> wow. so if you can track AirTags, remember, if you give them an iPhone, you could track that. You could track a whole lot of other devices that you give to people. 
One quick mention, an article that came up on 9to5Mac, and Josh kind of wondered what the title was. It's, is 5G worth it? Consumer hype is over and carriers worried, say report. And apparently the cell phone industry is worried because people don't care about 5G phones. Now, Josh said, should we really talk about this? Because every iPhone sold today supports 5G. But I think if people aren't buying 5G Android phones, that makes carriers less likely to install more 5G hardware and roll out the new technology. Now, I don't think 5G is going to disappear because they're already working on 6G. But it's true that if you remember that first presentation of the iPhone 12 with 5G, where you can download a movie in seconds, no one downloads a movie in seconds. No one needs to download a movie in seconds. And most people get better speeds with 4G where they are than 5G. Well, this is one of those things that, you know, <laughs> the technology promises to be better and faster and more wonderful. And it it can be in certain limited circumstances. So the thing is that 5G is really only ideal and really only as fast as all of these claims if you are in an area where you can get 5G ultra wideband. And of course, there is very limited range from cell phone towers that offer that. And so this is not something that is necessarily widely available to everybody. Now, at the same time, I mean, 5G is the new standard. It's going to be rolled out to more places. It's, it's already fairly ubiquitous, at least across uh, large portions of the United States certainly any very populous areas. And I would expect that we're going to continue to see 5G rolled out, including ultra-wideband deployed to a lot more areas. So for me, I, I kind of feel like this is a bit of a non-story because you know, eventually all the Android phones are going to have 5G as well. It's just a thing. It's going to happen and uh, we don't need to worry about it. I wouldn't be so sure because the cheapest phones, remember, this costs more money in licensing, right? They have to buy a chip that does 5G and 4G and probably 3G as well. So it costs more money and a cheaper phone. When a company's selling a million phones at $100 or whatever the equivalent is, they have no desire to add features that aren't selling. Okay, let's take a break. When we come back, we'll talk a little bit about Black Friday and some other interesting news stories. Protecting your online security and privacy has never been more important than it is today. Intego has been proudly protecting Mac users for over 25 years. And our latest Mac protection suite includes the tools you need to stay protected. Intego's Mac Premium Bundle X9 includes Virus Barrier, the world's best Mac anti-malware protection. Net Barrier, powerful inbound and outbound firewall security. Personal Backup, to keep your important files safe from ransomware and much more to help protect, secure, and organize your Mac. Best of all, it's compatible with macOS Ventura and the latest Apple Silicon Macs. Download the free trial of Mac Premium Mundle X9 from Intego.com today. When you're ready to buy, Intego Mac Podcast listeners can get a special discount by using the link in this episode's show notes at podcast.intego.com. That's podcast.intego.com. And click on this episode to find the special discount link exclusively for Indigo Mac Podcast listeners. Plus, Indigo has deep discounts for Black Friday and Cyber Monday. Indigo, world-class protection and utility software for Mac users. Made by the Mac security experts. 
So it's Black Friday again. I don't know about you, but it feels like it's been Black November all month. Yeah. <laughs> you know, this is funny. Every year, it seems like the the sales, the Black Friday, quote unquote, Black Friday sales, like creep up more and more and more. And basically now, like as soon as Halloween ends, <laughs> now you've got Black Friday deals that are already starting. So you may have already been purchasing some things that have been on sale. Maybe you're waiting for the post-turkey sales. And and if you are, well, this weekend's a good time to buy. There's probably going to be more quote-unquote Black Friday sales on actual Black Friday and the weekend after it and Cyber Monday and maybe Cyber Monday week because now it's Cyber Week anyway. <laughs> <laughs> if I look on Amazon UK right now, it's got Black Friday week, on the top right, Black Friday starts in six hours, eight minutes and 40 seconds because it's going to start on midnight Thursday morning, right? I just actually bought something today that was on a Black Friday sale. Since it's going to be delivered tomorrow, if it turns out to be cheaper tomorrow, I can, you know, always return it to Amazon. But last year I bought a TV the week before Black Friday because the retailer promised that if the price went down, they'd reimburse the difference. A lot of these sales, first of all, a lot of these sales are bogus. I'm going to link in the show notes to a couple of articles we've published about Black Friday, how to stay secure. We're not going to go into that again. We've done that every year for a while, but also how to check for fake reviews. And that's really important. One of the things I use is a website called Camel, 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 where you can paste in an Amazon review and you can see the price history of an item. So you can tell if it really has gone down for the Black Friday sale or if it just says 41% off, but it's always been 41% off. Worth doing that, particularly for computer computer, hardware, cameras, TVs, anything electronics, you know, things that are a little bit more expensive than, I don't know, books and records and stuff like that. Right. I use an app called Price Pulse that does the same thing basically as Camel, 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 except in app form instead of a website that can email you when there's discounts. Both can be used together. You know, some might catch deals that others don't. One other quick reminder, FakeSpot is an app that we've mentioned before. This can be really useful for finding potentially fake reviews on Amazon uh, and, and some other sites as well. If you install this app and then you go to a share link for the product, for example, in the Amazon app, you can send that link to FakeSpot and FakeSpot will analyze it for you and tell you whether it thinks that a lot of the reviews are negative or positive, how many of those reviews are actually fake. And that can be a good way to sort of help identify whether those five-star reviews on a product are really legitimate or not, or, or whether maybe it's it averages out to something closer to like two or three stars if you're really only looking at the reliable reviews. Okay, I'm also going to put a link in the show notes to an article in the Washington Post this week entitled, It's Not Your Imagination, Shopping on Amazon Has Gotten Worse. Now, we're not recommending that people only buy on Amazon. I happen to buy on Amazon a lot because I live in a rural area and I don't have many other options. But the author of this article started by searching for cat beds. Most of the results were sponsored results, so paid ads. Some of the results were dog beds and other random things. And if you've ever searched Amazon for anything, you know what it's like, that it's really hard to find exactly what you're looking for. One more quick reminder, be very careful about buying old electronics because very often they are not getting updates anymore. They might not be getting firmware updates. They might not be getting software updates, and that can put your security and privacy at risk. So we've got an article that we'll link to in the show notes for more information about that. Okay. Ars Technica has an interesting article this week entitled, Thinking About Taking Your Computer to the Repair Shop? 
be very afraid. And the subhead is not surprisingly, female customers bear the brunt of the privacy violations. Now, I want to tell you a little anecdote. I remember back in the day, this was the white MacBooks. This is about 2005-ish. I had to send it back to Apple under Apple Care for a repair, and they instructed me to make sure that I include the admin password for my account. Now, I didn't want to do that, so I created another admin account and gave them the password, but of course they could have gotten into my account, and they don't do that anymore, and the data wasn't encrypted back then. But it's really important to realize that if you go to a repair shop and someone says they have to access your account, then they are going to be able to access all your data. If you're sending a computer off to someone who needs to actually run the computer, I think what Apple does is they start it up from an external drive now, so they don't need to do that. But you can create a new account that's a non-admit account to let them access it. The problem is if they say they need an admin account to change settings, then they can access your account anyway. Well, according to this report, this article says that women are more frequently targeted by people who are doing these repairs. Well, what these researchers found is that women are more likely to be targeted by repair technicians when it comes to things like accessing their pictures folder, opening pictures and other documents that they have on the computer. Males were less likely to be targeted in these cases. Now, we can speculate as to why exactly that is, but it's it's pretty safe to say that if you do need to take your computer in to be repaired, it's probably better to take it to somebody that you know personally and trust. And if you have to take it in for repair, maybe try to find a shop that has a female repair technician who's maybe going to be less likely to access your private pictures and things. Well... What's interesting is that they say they brought the laptops to two national outlets, two regional ones and four local ones. Now, maybe national outlet, they mean a brand like Best Buy or something. I don't know. I think we have less of a problem with that for repairing Apple devices, although there are plenty of repair shops that will do some repairs on Apple devices. They can't always get parts to do more than basic repairs. But as we've talked about in the past, they can now change a broken screen on an iPhone, and there are a number of things they can do. I find this really disturbing. And if it was me, now I know that Apple can't get into my computer, but if I had a Windows computer and I was worried, I would copy all my data and then erase my account before I took a a computer in for repairs. But of course, if you can't start up your computer, you don't have a choice and you're kind of stuck, aren't you? Well, and the average user probably doesn't know if like if they have a major problem with their computer, they may not really know how to back up all their data and they may not also really have time to try to figure all this stuff out before taking in their device for repair. So this is kind of a problem. Uh, I, I think it's worth looking at at least the, the they've got a nice chart in the article that shows how this data was accessed and, and by which types of repair shops. So it's worth looking at if you ever take your computer in for repair. Okay. In this week's Tom Cruise segment, Australia is going to hack the hackers and they are offensively going to find these people, hunt them down and debilitate them before they can attack our country. Now, why is this? What does it have to do with Tom Cruise? (laughs) Well, if you've never seen the movie The Minority Report, a quick synopsis is that the whole idea is to catch bad guys before they commit the crimes. (laughs) 
And so that's kind of seems like that's what Australia is doing here. They're they're saying that they want to proactively go after these known hacking groups before they have a chance to attack Australian businesses and government entities. So this is kind of interesting, isn't it? This is not something that we typically see a lot of nation states saying that they're going to do, but Australia is taking a very proactive approach about this. Now, to be fair, if they're if they have enough evidence that a particular group has done a particular thing, then maybe they'll want to target them before they do another particular thing. That's entirely possible. But it doesn't sound like this. It does sound like that. What was it called? Precognition or whatever in Minority Report. <laughs> right. And I was just saying to you before the before we started recording, I haven't seen that movie in a long time. So I think I'm going to rent it tonight and watch it. Another story we talked about, this is just a brief update. Some months ago, and I'll find a link to the episode, put it in the show note, we talked about the possible network crashing leap seconds because all clocks on networks have to be in sync and they're going to be abandoned by 2035 for at least one century. We don't really care what happens in 2135. So in about 13 years, we won't have to worry about what Ars Technica calls our 50-year chronological rounding error nightmare. We talked about this in August. This was the episode was actually titled Tom Cruise and the Leap Second. <laughs> Cuz we had another Tom Cruise tie-in on that episode too, so Yes. So they're getting rid of the leap second. I think it's a good thing. We'll link to the Ars Technica article and you can check it out. Okay. One last mention for an article that I've updated on the Intego Mac security blog. If you buy any DVDs and Blu-rays for Black Friday, you might want to rip them and add them to your Apple TV library. Now, I first wrote this article, I think in 2015, and a lot's changed since then in terms of the software you can use, in terms of the fact that iTunes is no longer there. I go through the process talking about a couple of apps that are free and one that's not, explaining how you can do this. The first app is Make MKV, and it's it's one of these things that's been in a beta for about 10 years, and so you can get a free license key that you update every month. You can rip DVDs and Blu-rays into MKV video files, and you can use these files as is, or you can then use the free handbrake to convert them into smaller files, which are either MKVs or files that are more compatible with Apple stuff. So if you want to put a file into your Apple TV library to watch on your iPad or stream to your Apple TV, it has to be an MP4 file. And you can do that. I talk about an app called iFlix, which searches for metadata for your videos. It adds the names of directors and actors and poster art and all that. And I also talk about Plex, which is one of my favorite apps for managing my videos on my home server, where I run this on a NAS. You can also run it on a Mac. And you can stream to all sorts of devices in your home. I haven't personally used Plex. You're always telling me about how great Plex is. so I keep telling you, try Plex. <laughs> I got to try it out. One thing that I will say about this is, depending on the laws of your country, it may technically be illegal to rip a DVD or a Blu-ray. So just be aware of that. However, if it's not illegal in your country or, you know, if you kind of feel like this really should be a fair use situation because you purchased it and you're just converting it to a different format, well, then that's up to you. <laughs> it's worth pointing out, and I say this every time we talk about ripping, that it is still illegal in the UK to rip a CD. Yeah. Can you believe that? Yeah. That, that's really surprising. Anyway, I walk you through the process of using MakeMKV and using Handbrake and getting the metadata and getting it all set up. And if you get a bunch of DVDs for Black Friday, go rip them. Josh, 
I hope you have a great Thanksgiving. Until next week, stay secure. All right, stay secure. Thanks for listening to the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, with your hosts, Kirk McElhern and Josh Long. To get every weekly episode, be sure to follow us in Apple Podcasts or subscribe in your favorite podcast app. And if you can, leave a rating, a like, or a review. Links to topics and information mentioned in the podcast can be found in the show notes for the episode at podcast.intego.com. The Intego website is also where to find details on the full line of Intego security and utility software, intego.com.